0: Hi, I'm Abby from Bali, Indonesia, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything. My question is, are dogs better than cats or vice versa? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend and co-host Howard Cohen aka The Hizzer, Hello. and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from...
2: Well we're talking everything from Abby from Bali, Tropical Bali. Uh, her question is, are dogs better than cats or are cats better than dogs? Dane, you know I have no real opinions on this. Um, you know,
1: yes, right. you do. I do. <laughs> I, think, I think you most definitely do.
2: Listen, there's a lot to be said for both. I've had both. I can tell you that dogs are more maintenance, but have greater sense of love for you uh, than a cat. But a cat often has a deeper love. And, and although my cat killed a, a pigeon and brought it into my bedroom yesterday, so maybe I'd vote dogs today
1: yeah well i think that's that's isn't that t- love, tough love because cats normally do these killings because they think human beings are too stupid to hunt for themselves yeah
2: so true, yeah. um but, but listen it's a good question abby and uh suffice <laughs> to say on this show we ask and answer all the questions don't we Dave?
1: absolutely no question is too big too small too feline or too canine and if you do like the show please rate and view on apple Podcasts or follow us on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from Uh, And also you can subscribe to our Patreon where you can continue to support the podcast and receive additional and preferential content via our Patreon as well, Uh, where you can also hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a television and media pundit as well as a former professional footballer. He played 427 games in his career, including 95 Premier League appearances, featured 12 goals, with a Batman solo strike against Chelsea as a goal of the season contender Series during his illustrious career. Goal. Amazing career. And nowadays he's one of the world's most respected pundits working with ESPN, the BBC, and also uh, my producer friend Harold Cohen's favourite Guardian football weekly podcast. His a uh, book about his amazing career, Kick Him Back, is also available to buy. And so we shouldn't leave out as well as being a pundit, philanthropist, commentator. And former professional footballer Is also a husband and a father So Please welcome to the show With all the love and respect That you can muster To Mr Nedim Onua
3: Hey What's happening guys I've got to pull you up Dane That was very very good It was very good But slight (laughs) fact check A slight fact check Yeah yeah so he was 95 Premier League appearances for Man City, but oh. 188 in total. So I don't need people thinking I just dipped in and out for a quick year. Set the record straight, set the Is tone. He's it? 188.
1: Yeah, facts, facts, facts. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't fight. Let's make sure it's we've got all the who stats writes
2: right. in the Biogs, and it's very important for me to get it right, particularly when I'm talking about football. There's there's varying uh, stats.
1: Hey, um, listen, Nedim, you need to gone. find the right ones.
3: You put the work in, you get you get the rewards. Get I, the rewards.
1: I'd, I'd rather hear it from the man himself. So it's all good, man. Um, yep, yeah. yeah, we'll make that correction, Howard, as well. I definitely want to play around, play down your achievements, uh, Nedum. Um, but most importantly, as well as being a uh, having an illustrious career as a former professional footballer, how are you as Nedum the man?
3: I'm, I'm incredible to be in my late thirties and to be retired, to be experiencing the summer and watching my kids grow. I think I'm in a very, very privileged position, but I'll be honest, I'm making the absolute most of it. You know, people ask me, oh, are you going to go into coaching? Are you going to go into this? I'm like, nah, absolutely <laughs> not. Oh, I, so like, good to hear. I like waking up in the morning, sorting out my kids, taking them to school. And then as soon as I drop them off, that feeling of like, well, that's freedom. That's yeah. freedom. And you know, I like to make the most of it. So yeah, I'm in a good spot, man.
1: It's cool, man. It's it's been a I I, I love the idea that you've made a a very long commitment uh, in your personal health and kinesthetics to achieve things you wanted to the earlier part of your career. And now like you're free to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. put that same effort into uh, the most important resource, which is your uh, your children and your family. So,
2: yes. yeah, well, we're, rate, we're, we're rate. privileged to be joined by you as well, given you could just be <laughs> sitting there enjoying, you know, a, a box set or something. You
3: know? No, come on. The sun's, <laughs> set. the sun's kind of out in Manchester, so I can't just be staying indoors watching box sets for the whole day. Yeah. But to to so just to go back on the retirement thing, mm. one of the big differences, I think, between myself and a few others and the majority is that when you sort of retire within football, you've basically spent your whole life being built to do one thing. Mm -hmm. So the thought of it finishing is terrifying to some. Yeah, I feel lucky because the thought of the rest of my life was exciting to me. You know, and that's that's a little difference in psychology that some people really struggle with. That's why some people, they'll drop down to any division to just go and kick a ball around somewhere to receive maybe a 20 pound, like in a brown envelope to try and play for Mm -hmm. in the 10th tier, because they need to be part of that. Yeah, But like the real world's, it's not it's not too bad you know like I, yeah. i'm doing all right yeah i think so, yeah, so i can you, mix in pretty well pretty it's well it's good
1: man so you you can thrive in both football and civilian culture exactly like, civilian
3: culture man obviously yeah. i'm not like a true true part of it like when i'm walking down the street sometimes and someone says oh hi i know you're right and i'm like yeah you're right and my daughter says oh do you know him i said nah mm-hmm. she says, so why why do you talk to you I, was like, I guess she knows me so she's like are you famous <laughs> that's a tough question tough to answer to your kid well not really but he knows me but he knows yeah. me
1: yeah yeah you can say the guy knows me from work that's all maybe he's yeah. all work one time.
3: of course yeah trying to explain to your kids don't speak to strangers yet yeah, still all I do is speak to strangers
1: Well, I feel like you've got a lot of time to do so man but I I think it's a it's a it's a very good disposition to have and uh yeah. obviously you've had the uh you've worked hard for a career that many men particularly in this country uh consider the Holy Grail or just yeah. like the dream job. And to be able to have that experience and then, you know, be able to stay very grounded and be able to focus on, you know, raising your kids. It's cool, man. I I know, I know it's not a priority, but you might need to do some life coaching in order to help other people with the transition, man.
3: Uh, The the thing with that is as you guys have probably seen yourself and everyone listening at home, like sometimes the way that you see things can only be seen by someone when they're in the same situation. Mm. Like I remember when I was a youngster, I'd be hearing stuff from some of the older players i'm like why would you be talking you're washed up like what are you trying to teach me here but then i think i was very fortunate in some ways because when i I went to queens park rangers when i was like 25 26 which is relatively young in the grand scheme of like football but i was surrounded by people in their mid to late 30s so the way they were talking about the about football made me start to think well i need to start getting ready for the end now and that's not a normal thought but also that's the thing again with mentoring like, do they want to listen to you? As far as football yeah. goes, some of the like kids who were playing top level football today, like they never even saw me play in the premiership. They didn't they they were born after I'd made my debut. So mm-hmm. if I come in with big energy saying, Listen, I know what this is gonna I know what you need here. This is yeah. exactly it. Mm-hmm. All right, granddad. Cool story. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, okay. It's probably
2: time for a question, Dane, as the as the format of this show dictates. Well, we could just talk forever. but
1: uh... Absolutely. well, Ned, and We definitely want to seek your sage advice on this podcast. And as our esteemed guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which could be any question you'd like, uh, which we'd like to discuss for yeah. as long as we can. And okay. if we do have time, how I'd like to pose to you a question. And if there's any extra time uh, granted by the ref, I'd also like to pose a question to you. And then we'd love for you to tell our listeners and viewers where they can find out what you're up to, past, present, and future. Okay, that sounds so sounds
3: good. sounds fantastic. So this is a very very personal question to me, and I hope this show will put me into the position I need to be when it's done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my question is, when is it the right time to quit social media?
2: Oh, tell us tell us where this this has come from, Nedam. Tell us what okay. you're thinking about this.
3: So, not to hype up, sort of my generation slash our generation, but we were kind of raised off the internet Mm. and then we saw the internet become what it is today. Like, have you been the person that, you know, couldn't go on the internet because someone was on having a phone call, yes or no? Well, if the answer is yes, then you've probably experienced certain things that some people haven't, who've never even heard of dial up before. If you, and off the back of that, it means that you sort of grew into it, but with a more sort of adult perspective on things. Whereas, say, some younger people, they have to be on the internet. But every day I sort of think to myself, why am I on Instagram? Why am I on this? Why am I on that? And I always, I'm always thinking, is it just because I feel I have to be? Because what's the true value of it? And how much has it changed across the years to where, you know, you remember when everyone was friends with Tom on MySpace, that was the thing. You know, it was yeah. a very, very personal network that you were on. Now, all of a sudden, say if you go on things like Instagram, you know it's an active marketplace, whether you're selling something yourself or someone's trying to sell something to you. Yeah. And that's whether it's your neighbor who's posing, posting pictures from their holiday, which has actually been a two out of 10, but the pictures make it look like an eight, or yeah. whether it's an actual company that's trying to sell you something so specific because they know that you fit into the exact demographic whereby you can make them money. And I just think, why do I do this? And I'm sure most people just do that whole doom scrolling thing. You're just going and going and going. Yeah. And at the end of the day, could you not have just survived the day without it? And if you can survive one day without it, it surely can survive a lifetime. So what do we actually use it for?
2: Self-promotion is definitely high up on the list for a lot of people in in, in media, I think. That's a fair... That's, that's me trying to be positive about it, you know? Like, yeah. it, if you've got a thing that you want people to look at, like a podcast, as, as an easy example, yeah. then, you know, you, you, you can reach people through that, right, Dane? Like, Dane performs comedy across the world and but, he wants to let people know it's one way in it but
3: but that's a very very true thing and you can say a noble thing but is that the only amount of time that you're on the or on social media for just posting that clip and then disappear definitely yeah. not exactly definitely
1: not. and and that is the problem and that is the problem particularly with myself and uh i don't think i have a massive issue with social media necessarily but that i think would be, be disingenuous because If I was to look back on some of the uh, discussions or confrontations uh, or debates or discourse I've had on social media, and were you to say, did you really need it? The Jamie, the answer would be no, for sure. Um, because I think that social media has caused a lot of problems in my personal life and the main part is because it's very hard to distinguish a boundary between that, because when I perform on television, for example, or I appear on TV then once the cameras are cut or the show is over, then my interaction with the audience, that ends there as well. And I can return it to my private life. And I think social media can definitely blur those lines, Um, especially because we give it so much credence because we've not had it around for a long time, enough for us to understand that we're not as uh, dependent on it as it may appear. And that's probably a conclusion I've only started to reach more recently because the more I've seen on social media, more recently, the more I'm starting to see that uh, it's not real. Mm. And I say this with, for example, um, this week at the time of recording, Andrew Tate was uh, arrested and charged with like for sex trafficking. And I had done a post about it, which was not in support of him, but it was basically a fact that I found it very strange that he went to prison before and he was bald came out of prison with a full head of hair. I was like, that don't make no sense. Like, what prison has he gone to where he had a hair transplant? And then I found it strange that I was like, how can somebody who's so outspoken about being masculine have a hair transplant? Because surely you wouldn't be insecure about that kind of thing if he was like a man's man. And then I'm like... But the point was that I was. I just mentioned his name and because of that, my TikTok was deleted completely. And I remember thinking, they didn't even check what I'd put. Obviously just for the name alone, they've gotten rid of uh, my my account. And I was like, you know what? That just shows you how just how fickle this whole thing is. Because people spend so much time investing their ideas and creativity into creating what's called content, which really is not the same as creating art when you're an artist. And for you to create something and at the flick of a button, a external entity can take that all away. For me, I was like, and this is why it's bullshit. And I think as an artist in particular, social media has definitely blurred the lines between uh, art and content. And as also infiltrated the, uh, I guess the achiever, because I guess a lot of time when you would be somebody, whether it would be like an athlete or be an entertainer, your ability to inspire other people or people trying to follow your example, you know, is a byproduct of you excelling at your in your particular field. Whereas social media has kind of ruined that, I think, with the introduction of the influencer. Where you don't necessarily have to have any particular discernible talent or any talent that you would be able to disseminate or information that you can disseminate to other people. All it is is that you can create a portrait of a lifestyle that other people want, even if you haven't worked for it and people will just listen to you and normally, like you said at the end of it, that is normally to influence if nothing else but a purchase.
2: Yeah. Well, and, 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 so, and the thing yeah. is, it, it, you kind of end up in these scenarios where you could be kind of known for one thing. And then the Internet kind of drags you in to be be, be involved in other things. You know, you, I follow a lot of footballers on, on social media because I'm interested in football. And then I find myself kind of witnessing their weddings. Uh, you know, when the season ends you notice this like the season ends now right Nedham. season yep. ends and a lot of players get married in the summer I guess right That's yep. just a, that makes sense I get it I'm kind of I'm kind of on the center Arsenal center back Gabriel's honeymoon the other day going I don't need to, <laughs> what? I don't need to know any of this I don't need yeah. to, why am I here like why does he feel the need to share that with there's something we've we've just lost control of it, Nederman. Isn't that the
3: truth? Yeah, the yeah, I I would say so. I think when you think about what it's like today compared to what it was first like when it started, where it felt like it was more personal. Like with my um, so my Instagram's uh, it's private. So anyone that follows me on there, I know them in real life. So I'm having like two experiences because some of the pages I follow, they're just open and I don't know them. So right. you call me a hypocrite, or whatever. But the stuff that I post, I know this stuff that I would share with people in real life, and I know the people who are going to see it, they're going to be more thoughtful about what they say, how they say it, and what they're actually looking for. So it's like a real connection. Because if you say some of the abuse or some of the nonsense that gets said with the trolls and whatever, I if with someone I know on my Instagram trolls me, I know exactly where they live. I'm going to come over and say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, Calm yeah. down. It's not that. But that sense of like anonymity, and I think as well, it's sort of boosted, the idea that say when we watch TV shows or we watch films, the characters within shows which we connect with and others that we don't. You know, sometimes you root for like the anti-hero, whatever, or the hero, whatever. And you can get frustrated about things that happen, whether it's a long long standing show or something like that. And I think social media, because you've got access, makes it seem like the people aren't real at all. Because yeah. that's all just part of what it is. So as a consequence, some people come and feel they can say anything because yeah. they're there and they're open, you know, like you seeing Gabrielle's wedding like why have you seen gabrielle's wedding usually back in the day this is like a this is like you know you've got and develop the film at max spielman or something and gabrielle come <laughs> oh how come i have a look at my pictures from my wedding <laughs> yeah. yeah instead you're right there and it's frustrating because i saw when it first started especially within football i think it was around 2013 14 when like instagram was kicking on and i remember it was like the rise of the brand mm-hmm. but like when are you a person or when are you are a brand? Because I think if you're in the public eye, all of a sudden you are just a brand if your account's open. And some people like have huge desires to be a brand. And that's like Twitter, for example, I'd never go on there because I don't really care for people's opinions. Yeah. But I remember when I was on there and I had the idea of quote unquote followers and the question, what are you thinking? Like, I'm not thinking anything, but I've got yeah. some followers there. So I need to make sure I say something that keeps them entertained. And that's gone so far to the point where now I don't think you will ever change. I think younger, younger generation are fully plugged into whatever version of social media they're on right now. Mm-hmm. But like, for the three of us knowing that we don't really need it. Well, we don't really need it, but could you go a month off it? Could you delete your account and go a lifetime off it? Off it. The answer is probably no because of things which we believe to be important, like the promotion of this and so on and so forth. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. Yet yeah, still yeah. we hold it so dearly that it will stop us making the decision that overall might be a net benefit for who we are as human beings.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree. But I, I think even in answer to your question, like further question, when you say like, could you go a month without it? I think the the real I'd say the real biological or almost like yeah, natural truth is yeah, you could, because you don't require social media in order for you to live and you, if you wanted to have interactions with other people or have connections with other living things, you could either the people in your house or leaving your house and going to see family. You could do it. It's just attention has become currency now, yeah. and that's a great way of explaining it because currency is another thing that it's it's all of the power that we have within currency is the power that we give it. Yeah. So, for example, you can be a billionaire, but what we've definitely learned this week is you can't buy your way out of a submarine <laughs> if that submarine malfunctions. As much because, you know, we're taught, like, money can buy you anything for you, but every one of those billionaires could have said to the sea, full of organic life, as and also made of an organic compound in water, and been like, I'll give you half of my money if you get us to the top of the surface. The sea's not listening, because the sea does not need money to function. Yeah, And so it's the same way with, like, social media. It's only the power we give it. Like if you're in a desert, doesn't matter how much you can't eat money and that won't hydrate you in the same way that with social media, if I was in a situation whereby I was sick or I was alone or I was trapped somewhere, I can get on Twitter, but if I aren't able to not able to connect to my phone, doesn't matter how much I'm someone retweets something, it's not gonna make me feel any better. And it's just how much power we give it. So I think the short answer to the question for me, like I guess is um with social media is that when it's time to come off, I think it's like you said, I think it's for as a user of social media, when you start to think that the people that you might try to interact with are not real, that's probably when you need to come off. And I think as a social media user with an account and followers, when you start thinking it's real, then it's time to come off as well. Because as you said, there are certain things that take place on social media where if a random person walked up to you and was like, what are you thinking? What's on your mind? Your initial reply would be I'm sorry, who are you? Because we don't normally share our innermost thoughts with strangers. And yep. yet we have no idea what corporate or what digital entity is asking us for our innermost thoughts and desires. And yet people will be, yeah, man, I hate my job or my partner and they'll put in window and they'll put more effort into that than they would ever do when they're going to see a counselor or a therapist or even communicating with a person they might be subversively talking about. People will talk about their jobs and how much they hate it and their aspirations and dreams. And Rather than using that as a catalyst to actually do these things, we just seek the validation of the more retweets or the likes some things get. It's, it's like, t- it's oh, like you
2: say about attention. people right? agree with us.
1: Yeah, Cause, cause, <laughs> because we want, rather than us saying we want a pay rise at work or we feel that we're underutilised or we're um underappreciated in our line of work or whatever aspects of our life, we'll complain about it. When people give it loads of likes, we take that as the currency rather than looking for an actual pay rise. And I think once we arrive at that point as individuals where just the, the the social media account that you are pouring yourself your heart out to is what your main way of is addressing your personal issues that's when it's time to kind of come off and I think for me like I I had the issue where I'd had a disagreement with somebody that had gone viral and so I was getting doxed and doxied by people and it wasn't like I found it too hard to handle because for me I from a time where if someone was beefing you, it's what happens in real life that is the problem, rather than what's happened on the social media. Yeah. But at the same time, it was the fact that even if I could present the facts that I had not started anything and this person had lied and can prove that, it was watching that when people build up an idea of who they think you are, it doesn't matter if you present them with facts. And then it comes to the point where if you're trying to argue with somebody who don't care about facts, no point. Yeah. yeah. No point, point and so that's when you start to realize that there's only so you can only take this so seriously like even with my account being deleted i appealed it the account came back but then it definitely helped to kind of cement a lot of the uh thoughts i've been having about social media like for example obviously now with the whole idea of metrics and stuff it's definitely changed the way we uh judge the quality of something because before I can say to you, Ned, uh, bro, listen to this tune, bro. listen to how dead this tune is. And you might just want to listen to it because we have something to discuss in it just so you are on the same page. But the way social media has kind of like di- distorted that whole thing is if we all think a tune is shit and we listen to it as much as we listen to a song we actually like, they will be considered equal just by the numbers. When really, oh, yeah. we don't want to listen to the rubbish thing, but because the numbers are there, it gets being put back in our face and obviously, because social media has learned that human beings, if there's a spectacle, particularly a negative spectacle, the same way like a car crash, you're all rubberneck. But they now put that to the forefront, which makes us believe that we are in support of, or it's better to display negativity, because at the end of the day, that's going to generate attention, and that's yep. become the new currency. And I think
2: uh, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting, and it kind of taps into what I was going to talk about with my question about cuz you said you're retired Nedham, right yep. but but you you're not you, you you do a job you've got a job you're you're, a, you're no, a well yeah uh, a pundit, mate. uh really?
3: not quite but i'll let you carry on i'll, I'll explain why in a second
2: <laughs> okay i have seen you on on my television and on yeah. and on, on on my radio you know uh, yeah uh and i i find it really interesting in, uh, in 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 looking at how pundits in sport have become arguably more interesting uh to watch than the football at times it has yeah become, so it, it, uh, my question is is it is it becoming more interesting to watch the the pundits than than the actual football uh because okay. it, it has exploded in a very unique way in this last and, and it taps back into that social media
3: attention yes thing again yes because in the last few years the rise of the clips you know what i mean it's never really the full show anymore it's always the clips from it, like the, the CBS show that they have for the Champions League with Micah, Thierry Henry, Kate Abdo. Like, people love that because it's so different to what we normally see on our screens here in England. But you, if you ask most people, have you seen the full show? They'll be like, well, no, but I saw that clip and they were joking about this, that, and the other thing, That stuff is funny. Mm. But it's as I say, it's just a small part of everything. And the clips are what really drive the views and drive the opinions of some of those people. As is the case with, like, positive or negative headlines, anything a little snippet of anything can be perceived however it wants to be perceived. We could have, you could record the worst interview in the world, but it's a good 30 seconds. You run that 30 seconds. It sounds like it's the greatest interview that's ever been seen. You know, so there a level of not necessarily deceit within there. And as far as like the personalities and stuff go, I think it has changed a bit, but I also think it's linked to social media because a lot of people, it's not to call them sheep because they're not necessarily that, but they don't have a big opinion about certain things but they know certain people that do. And when they see that certain person deliver that said opinion, that becomes their opinion just by just absorbing it yeah. because they trust them on everything that they say. And that is the danger of the role of the pundit. And I remember years ago, like over 10 years ago, um, I was watching Match of the Day for a few years. And there was a point where Titus Bramble scored maybe a few more goals or something. And I thought, all right, you know, he's not very good. I played with him a year later. He was very, very good. But Match of the Day showed in that time that they thought he wasn't very good, but it didn't represent the reality of it at all. And I thought, this is me involved in the game, thinking someone's not very good. How about the people who aren't playing the game, who are listening to everything that's been said by some of these other people? And it makes me really aware of everything that I say, because if you go too big on something, that's the tone set, that's mm-hmm. the belief set. And I hate that because some of the people that say I work alongside, You can tell off-air that they don't like certain things or they do like certain things. And when it starts to affect the way they're talking about things, I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, red flag when someone says before a game, I'm really looking forward to watching player X. But I'm like, but there are 11 players for that team on that field. So what are you really going to see? You know, if that person person could make one nice through ball and give away the ball 10 times, but you go crazy over the fact that he made that through ball, or disregard the fact that he had the lowest pass completion of anyone on the field, because you know, you've not noticed what anyone else is doing. And I, I'm not, I'm not with that. So I, I get it. The personality thing its a big deal. you got to dress well. you got to look the part. you got to deliver these really big opinions and big takes to get the people to like engage with you. So you become either notorious you, or really you, deep. You
1: almost, you almost have to consider there's like a, I think there's like a chain of bias whereby like there'll be certain pundits who are friends with, Coaching staff for particular teams, yeah. and we'll still have their friends there, so they, they'll they have a bias where they won't be critical they're, of that necessarily.
2: Representative and of the club to an extent, Dane, right? As in, even yeah, if they're not be, actually yeah. associated, they played for a team, yeah. I mean, we, 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 you know, I know Nedham, you work for uh, C- is it CB- Yeah, C-
3: C- 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 uh, no, I work for yes, been work for City, C- but it, it,
2: yeah, but the, we... the, the, but the, on Sky, you know, basically for the past year or two, you've had this sitcom yeah. of Gary Neville. Jamie Carragher and Roy Keane and it is like watching a sitcom really (laughs) he's
3: just and in some ways like it doesn't change how the game will go but you know what it's going to look like from the coverage standpoint and some people really buy into that like lo and behold Man United and Liverpool they're the two biggest fan bases in England so when they're on TV the audience will be huge that's why they've got people on the screens who kind of represent who they are and so on
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
3: But what I didn't like from there, having played, is that like, whether United or Liverpool win or lose, that always leads. Like, United lost today or United won today, Liverpool lost today, Liverpool won today, but there's another team in there, so you spend more time sort of doing the, like Man United inquisition, and the Man United inquisition is the thing that gets the most clicks on on social media. After they've lost a bad game, and you've got uh, Roy Keane or Gary Neville in the studio, Mm -hmm. like, oh, the Glazers, the Glazers, the Glazers.
1: Like, Everyone's it's, just it's, it's like it's like you said. It's like with so, because we, with social media, it means that they start getting a mob stirred up. So if those yeah. guys say something bad about, if they say something bad about Rashford or, or Martial, then essentially, then it leads to all these people are going to start on them on Twitter. With Twitter. Yeah. So it can be kind of irresponsible as well because yeah. you're you're leaving that player open. Because I'm sure for me personally, I always for and for a long time, I, I'll be honest, with you, I didn't really pay much of the attention to TV pundits because I had they used to treat like Raheem Sterling.
3: Yeah, I'm with you on that.
1: I think was, I was I think I was very opposed to that uh, Raheem Sterling's treatment. Like obviously you played with Sean Wright Phillips and stuff, yeah. and obviously to me, I mean obviously I'm a I'm a civilian, but to see I I thought that he was unbelievable, and this is someone that scored in their England debut. Yeah, like, you know, second I think one of the second shortest players in stature in the Premier yeah. League alongside um uh who was who was it uh, Aaron Aaron, Aaron Lennon. Lennon yeah Aaron Lennon they were like and yeah. you know. Today, the way the game has changed and the way like players of that same kind of physique are probably able to adapt to football that he was kind of involved in at Man City very early on. And yeah, I just think, like you said, it's very interesting that you've given the context that because those are the two biggest teams in the UK, yeah. the pundit, even down to the punditry and all of the uh, alumni that's involved in the even in the media side of football, also kind of kind of has a bias towards them as well. Yeah, it
3: it's like it always leads. It always leads. Like yeah. we've got the A's, the B's and the C's and it's always going to be one of these big teams first up. Yeah. Always, even if they're like, didn't have a game because they know that's where there's most attention because their fan bases are so big. And in some ways it's, it's tough to be a part of that. But then in the same breath, like you kind of get it because it's the bottom line type of industry, isn't it? And you can't yeah. necessarily just go to like, you know what you want to do and you know what you have to do and the two things aren't necessarily always the same thing and it can be quite disappointing. But again, like...
2: Well, that's where it's kind of fascinating because you end up in a scenario now, Ned, where, you know, like, look, whether you like what they do, Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, Roy Keane, they now have this enormous platform, yeah, you know, and it's powerful, you know, and it's powerful to the point where I turned on my BBC Sport app, you know, looked at the football news the other day Gary Neville's telling the Premier League to ban transfers to a country. Yeah, yeah. I was like
3: that. Caragos
1: doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Caragos doing the same thing.
3: Which and, I... You
2: know, whatever people want to say about Saudi Arabia, you can you can have that conversation, but you can't dispute. Like, wow, like who yeah. appointed these guys to be in charge of this? Like nobody. That's kind of quite remarkable change of but, events.
3: Yeah, but it's because of that sort of following that they have because they're on those main platforms. You know, because they do Monday Night Football, because they do the main games, because the country's so like obsessed with football, then they're the faces that you see more than any other. So it's almost like for the same way they're doing that, when you think of like BBC football, you see like Gary Lineker's, you see Alan Shearer's and so on, you know, that's just, that's that's it. And it's from my side, like I say, I'm retired. I'm retired because all the work that I do, I choose to do, I don't have to do. Mm-hmm. In any given season, nobody tells me that I have to be in this place, that place and wherever. I've been the guy where say la- a year ago, Man City had their last game of the season where against Aston Villa, if they won, you know, they would win the league and so on. And I got asked to do work for like three, four different companies. But I was away uh, in Rome with my wife because it's anniversary. I was like, yeah, sorry, I can't help you. That's what I'm doing. You know, that it, that's the biggest game of the season. I'm like, sorry, I'm doing something else because uh-huh. it's something else that I'd rather be doing. So even though...
2: But I bet it, you watched the game though, didn't you?
3: Yeah, well, I watched the game, but so sort did of <laughs> everyone else. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, not going to miss yeah. that one. That was a hell of a well, game. Well, you I'd say miss. that, but when you think about this as well, being a pundit within football can be financially very, very good, especially if you're on TV. So you would think that you'd be desperate to work on TV, but the work that I do on TV overall is the stuff which I enjoy the least mm. because it's different because it's a bit more structured because for a lot of the times it has to go into ad breaks because you can't go into detail. And once you've gone through the A section, you don't go back to the A section, you're now on the Bs. And that's sort of like, it's almost like theatrical in the way that it works. Mm-hmm. Like, here we go here. We're going to run this video clip. We need you to write insight for 30 seconds exactly before we go to the break. But it's like, I can make the point, but I make a different point if I had five minutes yeah. yeah. and you can't have the back and forth because I'm somebody who, I take, uh, I, as you've probably heard on Guardian, like I like listening to what people are saying and I have my own opinion. And if someone has an opinion, I'd like to get them to explain it further mm-hmm. because I think football and life in general can be very superficial. But when you ask someone to explain it further, you soon realize whether they're fully with it or they're just repeating something that they've heard elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And the ones that really feel something, they're the ones where you can learn something from them as opposed to, as I say, just parroting some other point. Like an example, Say a lot of people just like they're on Romelu Lukaku's bumper so hard, so hard. Oh,
2: it's fucking mad! I'm sorry, it's, that it's, is it's absolutely insane. Mad. It's One insane. Of the great strikers of this generation. Exactly, so and, 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 I, and
1: that's the and that's the problem is that I think uh, Neddy, you make a good point in terms of like, and you have quite a you know a refreshing disposition because you're like, if I do it, it's because I want to, and yeah, it's not because I need to, and yeah. I feel like that is the problem with some pundits, and I won't say any names, but obviously for some people that's their still the way they their closest connection to the pitch yeah even down to just being able to have a microphone and be on the pitch themselves yeah and I definitely think that there's going to be elements of jealousy there if you're if someone is occupying a position that you used to be in and now they are uh appearing to be excelling and maybe getting closer to maybe someone's achievements or something like that or beating someone's former do
3: team that, do you think that Lukaku Nedum. do
2: you think that's uh,
1: like uh,
3: yes, that's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll just keep laughing for now and anyone <laughs> <that's> <laughs> like, knows what's going on because that definitely it. that definitely plays into it uh, the thing I'm laughing about and he's not he's not from England he's not you know whatever we know what we're talking about
1: but yeah yeah we know we know what we're talking about because because and we know what we're talking about because that doesn't just extend to what we're talking about but it's also no. the fact that i felt like you know there was a lot of that towards wenger being like a foreign manager and introducing yeah. a uh athletic curriculum into football yeah that this country wasn't necessarily that used to and because yeah. it's so interwoven into this country's culture to change the fabric of football in terms of like coaching and development of players I think a lot of people presented it for a long time until they yeah. were able to kind of mimic it. And in um, terms, Lu- is... terms of Lukaku, I think it's the same thing with Sterling. And it, yeah. it, was, it was it was the same thing with uh, Balotelli, especially. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um you know. I think with
2: Lukaku, it's particularly interesting because if you ever, you know, not that most people tend to, but if you ever track down Lukaku and like, you know, listen to the guy, super intelligent oh, no. human being who yep. speaks, I think, five languages...
1: Could
3: be
2: six. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like this guy is exceptional human being. Yeah. Just because he doesn't, you know. Like a lot
1: of foreign footballers, where their intelligence is questioned when they, one of the first things is that they're already bi or trilingual. Yeah. So how dumb could they be? <laughs> but, Dane,
2: but Dane, does this feed into your question? Because I remember we were, you know, and a reason I bring this up is because I, I was listening to you on the other day talk about the Vinicius uh, situation, Nedim. and I don't know if that's where you were going to go with your question today. Could I
3: just jump in and just say something yeah, before of course, that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, to to talk about the sort of bias against, like Lukaku and so on, like lo and behold, so this here's a statistic for you. Yeah? So within the last few years, there's a stat that comes from. Opta or whatever, which is like big, it's known as just like big chances yeah, so the big chances created, big chances scored, and the conversion rate for the best attackers in the world, like the very best, creme de la creme is somewhere between 50 and 55% yeah, so sounds like it's great, but when you put it into the context of the fact that they miss half of the chances that they have why is it that we freak out when somebody misses a chance, like the top of the top, miss one in two we think of it, oh they score one in two but they've scored one. The next one's there. They miss one. How about if they miss one first? You know what yeah, I mean. What happens yeah. if they don't get the second opportunity? And with Lukaku, talk about wording. In the Champions League final, somebody had a header and it hit Lukaku. Yeah, That's that was this. Right. Yeah, de- yeah. That was described by some as being a shot blocked by Lukaku. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's standing there. He didn't block a shot. He's the not even looking the same him.
1: way. Yeah, he's not even looking the same way.
3: He's the like... ball hits him. When you say blocked, it's like there's intent to stop exactly. the ball from going in. Yeah. And those little bits of like wordplay feed into the greater narrative mm-hmm. about people who think he's so bad that he's affects his team in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "What what are we saying? What what do you want him to do?" He hasn't blocked it. It's hit him. If he was a yeah. defender, defenders blocked it because he's actively tried to stop it. Yet still, here we are discussing just something so stupid. But because the group, this whole yeah. wave and sentiments existing with people's perception of it, mm. before you know it, like everyone's just running with it. Say, "Oh yeah, that's Lukaku. That's what he does all the time." Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very good point, and I and I definitely, I feel like we're definitely on the same wavelength there, and. My question was, uh, yeah, so I just want to follow up on that as well, because uh, we spoke about some of the comments being made by pundits about this uh, recent uh, multiple purchases of players from the Saudi League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And people complained about it. And I saw an interesting uh, reply from a Twitter user where they had said, like, for years, uh, Europe has plundered footballers from the African continent and from Central and South America, and have led to massive undevelopment of football programs in those countries. So why are you complaining when someone else is doing it now? And uh, I personally feel like the more places that players from modest backgrounds or players maybe from the continent are able to go to other than Europe to explore opportunities, the better. Yeah. I wanted to get your viewpoint on it. um, And basically ask you if you think like other parts of the world having equal purchasing power to european leagues is a good thing
3: okay let me let me empty the clip on this one yeah excuse the aggressive (laughs) but there was once a point where the premier league or the english league wasn't the biggest league in the world Mm. and the reason for that was because there was more money that was available to be attained elsewhere i think Mm. the example was probably like italy in the Mm. say like early 90s for example yeah So some of the best talent that exists in the world finds its way to the Premier League. And it finds its way not just to the top one or two clubs. It can find its way from anyone from the top all the way through to the bottom. And the bottom Mm -hmm. team in the Premier League could buy a player for 20, 30, 40 mil potentially. Mm -hmm. Is that the same for all the other major leagues around Europe? The answer is probably no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the same way that they're seeing this idea now drop on their toes where it feels like a country has got enough money to be able to pick some of the best talent as and however they want, Hmm. isn't that the way that England got to the point where it's at today where obviously you have the clubs in the history but it's that added income within the league that means that the best players around Europe if it's going to go to a bidding war do you know where they're going to come? They're either going to come to the premiership or they're going to go to Paris Saint-Germain they're going to go to Bayern Munich or they're going to go to like Real Madrid when was the last time you saw say, Serie A, for example, spending 50, 60, 70 million in a head-to-head race against a player that was playing in Germany or a player that was playing here or playing wherever. And it's like that doesn't get a mention. The Premier League's riches are perceived differently from within the country as they are from outside it because people now believe that if there's a player that they want, the only way they're going to get them is if someone from the Premier League doesn't bid on them. So it's like every league is almost like a development league for the premiership now, and I don't, I don't love that. And then, obviously, people have issues with, say, brown people and money from the Middle East. They have significant issues with it. But what I would say, to raise a true, true sort of thing here, you're very precious about your Premier League. Fair enough, yeah. But a lot of the people in the Premier League, they don't call England home. They don't call the Premier League home. Mm -hmm. They're on their journey playing football wherever they want to play football. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why they came to the Premier League, as long as, as well as the sort of history of some of the clubs, is the fact that they'll be re- remunerated far better here than it would be in La Liga playing for a team in mid table, yeah. than they would be in the Bundesliga in mid table. So, when the opportunity comes and somebody wants to buy them and they want to pay them more money to go and live in a place that isn't just a desert with camels there, yeah. they'll think, Well, okay, well, here's a chance for me to make money again, which was one of the big reasons why they came to England in the first place. Because last time I checked, people weren't signing for free just because the club's got history. Yeah, yeah. But Again, it's about perspective and people hold the Premier League and their clubs very dear in their heart, which is fair enough. But the lack of perspective is crazy to where the moment it feels like there's a threat to your own domestic league, you forget that you've been a threat to all the other leagues around Europe for the longest time, where players... If you have a good player in Germany, youngster, you're either going to Bayern Munich or you're going to the Premiership. That's the energy around it. But still, it's almost like we don't remember that or we don't care about that.
2: There's a romanticism... Still associated with football, as no, it isn't one of the biggest businesses in the world. Yeah, and and that's and they they call it the, the people who run football clubs. I think they call it legacy fans. You heard this phrase, right? Which mean, People like me who ended up supporting Arsenal because my dad made me support Arsenal because he supported Arsenal, and that's been passed on to my kids, my nephews and nieces. And but that that isn't most football fans, right, and across the world. You know, Arsenal, as an example, had a huge surge in interest because we had Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, and we, we reached a whole fan base through that. You know, just like City, you're experiencing now, right? they are yeah. players that play, like Haaland and De Bruyne will pull people in. But the idea that we judge uh, certain countries differently, like Messi's just gone to America, right? He's he's going to move out yeah. there. That, and that's been no... mildly
3: championed, by the way, mildly championed, massively yeah. championed. Yeah. it was, you know it, was I mean?
2: it was headline news. I know you worked for, for ESPN, yeah. but it was in a
1: way, in a way that it's like, well, he's kind of out of our hair now.
3: Like, <laughs> but that, but that league's okay though.
1: Yeah, okay. You know what? Because that, that league's in, UA- in UEFA. Yeah, it sounds that, like they're that a that
3: game. league, by the way, where it's been restructured to where every team had to pay for something to do with Messi to join. They've had to completely redesign the way the league works to bring in one player. Oh, yeah. but it's fantastic news, Messi. <laughs> it's, <quite> <laughs> also, <laughs> it's <laughs> worth pointing out that, that you know all the money,
2: all the money that, that that Saudi Arabia has, and 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 all the issues with with Saudi Arabian culture that people would want to talk about, in comparison to America a country where Lionel Messi's contract is being funded by Apple and Adidas, if I'm not mistaken. Apple, he's got shares. He's now getting shares in Apple to, to sign his contract. And also, and I'll just do this very quickly, but, let's not do a potted history of all the things that America have done wrong over the last <laughs> hundred years, because we'll be here all day and nedham has got a, a life. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I, I I totally, I totally get it. And, you know, it's not to diminish any issues in terms of things happening in Saudi Arabia, which we disagree with completely. You know, that's that's certainly out there. You do have to address those, but it's funny how for some people, it only matters when it starts to directly affect them, you know, for yeah. years, say for things like with golf, everyone used to love like the Arabian swing on the DP World Tour. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the, the foot, the racing, everyone's desperate yeah, to go to Abu Dhabi to do uh, this. To yeah, um,
1: even horse racing and stuff as well. Yeah, you know, horse you know, racing, tennis, everything. Yeah,
3: yeah. Like the Middle East has had a significant part of world sport for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But as I say, to spin it again, sorry. So I think as was was saying it and Neville was saying it and they, you know, that's their opinion, that's perspective, fine, whatever. But how would they have felt if for the last 10, 15 years, people, significant figures from within other football cultures were trying to at UEFA on Twitter, say they need to stop English teams from buying all the best players from around Europe. Yeah. They would have probably taken offense and say, why, why wouldn't they want to come here? We have this and we have that. We,
1: this is the home of this is the spiritual home of football and, <sighs> and blah blah, blah. It, would, it would it would for me, like even though like how you say romanticism, for me, I think there's a lot of exceptionalism. And, yeah. uh, because, and I think English culture is obviously synonymous with football culture. And because of that, I think there's this idea that they're able to behave in certain ways, like with a lot of other forms of international diplomacy compared to everywhere else. They're allowed to do things that's, and it's okay when it happens here, but if it happens anywhere else. And I think it becomes even more hypoc- hypocritical from my standpoint, where you look at the immigration policies involved with uh, English football, yeah. versus how English uh, immigration policy is discussed in English politics yeah. or even like, so you're fine selling weapons to Saudi Arabia but selling football players. That's a problem. <laughs> and and that's yeah. kind of how I see a kind of thing. Like, you know, everyone has a problem with uh, immigration or Muslims who are working class. But if you got got an amazing first touch, everyone looks the other way. Or if you want to buy a football club, then it's okay. And, uh it's interesting because it's very, the football league is very similar to comedy in that the British comedy scene is considered one of the best scenes because of what you can earn. Yeah. And it's one of the best at club level. Whereas on an international level, it's not able to compete because not as much as it invested in its domestic game. And I think it's very similar to football in that, like at a club level, one of the best in the world, but because there is a lack of investment in some people that may not represent what they want England to look like, at grassroots level, yeah. it means that on the world stage, England isn't always able to compete because they'd rather spend money and use their uh, financial superiority rather than trying to invest in developing their domestic game. Because I've said this before sometimes, and it's gotten me uh, some a little bit of backlash when I basically said, without foreign players, I don't think the Prem would be much better than the Turkish League. I, you, you see that? That's like, a, that
3: could be perceived as a hot take until you go through the layers to cool it off a little bit. And yeah, the yeah. reason I say that <laughs> is because when, like, what football culture is now within England wasn't created in England. It's yeah. had a real significant amount of foreign influence to it. Like, you remember yeah. one point where Arsene Wenger was seen as like a maverick, you know, how yeah. he was changing it so much. And then Rafa Benitez and so on. And around the time, Sam Allardyce's, Tony Pulis's, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, now you look around, and... You know, from kind of feels like from top to bottom, there's the foreign influence that exists there already. The yeah. way they perceive in the game, some of the old British culture that's that was there then isn't there now. The fact that football's spoken about in different ways, like here's a number ten, is a double pivot, is this, is that, is whatever. That wasn't traditional British culture, and I think yeah. that element of like diversity, uh, you know, both in sort of geography and just thinking in general, is one of the reasons why the standard has been driven up to where it is today. Yeah, and I don't see why that's like. Um, I don't see why that's a problem. And also... when
2: people used to uh, pressing, like the idea yeah. of pressing, half the players mm. that I think played in the nineties would would have collapsed.
3: Yeah, exactly. They had to
2: press every week. My God.
3: I know. And to say to say this again, like, oh, sorry, this was the point I was trying to make before. For me, it's about when you're a pundit, you need to realize what your words mean and who you're speaking to, and is this red meat or is it you providing insight? Because I like all the pundits when they provide insight according to their perspective, and they say this is according to my perspective. Mm-hmm. You might disagree; they might disagree with something in terms of a style of play, but they should be able to explain why it's going on. Like, say for example, England when they play, they play in this style now where they don't move the ball quickly around anymore, and it's not—it's because they're not—they're being told to not do that. Mm-hmm. That ten years ago would get you taken off the field, but today that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So the person that's going to be talking about it can say they don't like it, but they might as well say what it is because from the age of under 10 up to like senior men's football or senior just football in general, that's how they're going to be playing. And then to transfer that over any player that chooses to go to Saudi Arabia or any other country around the world, for me, that's their prerogative. I can decide whether or not I would have done it, but Everyone plays football for a different reason. Everyone's in a place for a different reason. If you're at the club that you've been at for your whole life, you'll have a different perspective to somebody who's traveled around the world trying to provide for their family. You know, and if a big opportunity comes, like I remember a guy called Asamoah Jan when we played together at Sunderland. I know. He was a really good player, a really good guy, but he wasn't from the Northeast. He wasn't from England. Mm -hmm. He never felt at home. So when the chance came for him to go to play in Dubai, a place which was warmer, yeah. and to pay him more money. Do you know where he ended up? At the airport headed to Dubai. And that's yeah. fine. And like, let's be
1: honest... Why is that, why is that a problem? It's why not a problem. problem? It's not a problem. I'll be quite honest as well. Like, for a lot of black and brown players, sometimes you want to go somewhere where you won't be treated like a second-class citizen or your price tag won't be affected by how close you are to what people consider a quintessential footballer to look like. And, like, you know, another example would be, like, Kazim Richards, who was playing lower leagues and then went to yeah. Turkey and ended up getting Champions League football by going another route. And yeah. for me that's what I look at the uh, the uh, positive aspects of these, of the purchasing power and the development of these leagues outside of the UK and outside of Europe is that there are guys who would normally be resigned to maybe trying to sit on a bench in maybe the championship or division one, but they can go and play maybe in like the Belgian first division. Yeah. And that just is, and the idea should be for everyone that football, we have to accept it's a, it's a global phenomenon, not just a sport, it's a global phenomenon and culture and these exceptional athletes that are able to reach the level of professional, more than anything, it should be... Like, the fact that now you've got people like Jaden Sancho and and Jude Bellingham who've gone to places like Borussia Dortmund, for me, like, it would make sense that any player who is able to play at the top level in any country and taking that information and potentially feed that back positively into the collective uh, competence of English football makes sense. Like, you should be wanting to do that all the time because... This is what other countries do is that their players come to play in the Premier League and then they're able to bring that expertise back home and what they learn and combine yeah. or, or what they're also able to do is they can go and play in other leagues, but they have they're very grounded so that when they return to like international duty, for example, like, you know, a lot, most people don't know a lot of Icelandic players or they won't know a lot of Moroccan players, but when they go back and play for their teams nationally, they have that great cohesion because yeah. there's not this ego and there's not this kind of hubris that's associated. I think a lot of the time with English football, in that this is the biggest league and therefore we are exceptional compared to everybody else where it's still the success of the Premier League has yet to manifest in terms of world competitions, I think, yeah, in like English football. So like, I think if you want to go to Saudi but like I said, you want to go somewhere where it's warm, you want to be feel more comfortable in a culture that's closer to yours, especially a lot of players who are like, you know, Muslims that come and play in the UK, they want to be in an Islamic state where the culture yeah. reflects their beliefs a lot more. That just makes sense. Yeah, just let them go. Like, yeah, what's, let, the, what's let, the problem? You let
3: got, go. It's like you're criticizing them on the way out for a decision that you wouldn't made yourself. But then, like, that's you. Just say that's that's you. Like, let yeah. them. Well, be and them.
2: also, I think a lot of people, a lot of people are. If I said to them, "Hey, do you want to double your wage?" Uh, what would their response be?
3: Um, uh, well, not if it's going to Saudi Arabia, no, no way. I'd rather rather stay yeah. exactly where I am. This is where I'm proud exactly, to be.
1: Exactly and for for a short term career, and, and also. I look at it this way: If the Saudi league develops, then all the thing around that develops in terms of the fact that Saudi, 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 foo- Saudi sports channels or Arabic food, sports channels will require pundits that might have a more understanding of, of that culture. That leads to more opportunities for people yeah. as well. And you know, for me, I I personally love the idea that like the closer that uh, English football and English opportunities for British kids, particularly kids descended from immigrants, have in order to use football, to travel the world and to get more opportunities. Because seeing the world is an opportunity in itself. yeah. And so, yeah, the more that can come about, the better, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Maybe uh, we can get you back on the show in a year's time and we'll see if the Saudi League still exists, Uh, Nedim, uh Can't be certain. <laughs> can't be certain, but it, it, it might. But um, it has been an excellent episode, Dane. It has flown by, flown by
1: absolutely it's flown by Nedim. Uh thank you very much and uh, yeah I definitely think that your take on football culture uh, as a as a player is very refreshing and uh, yeah hopefully more people hear the message um, for those that want to hear more about uh, your post football life and pre football life where can they find you what you're up to
3: <laughs> where can they find me okay so I'm a trustee for Man City charity City in the community I work for the BBC radio occasionally find me on BBC TV but I don't want to work too much on weekends and Guardian Football Weekly, and yeah, you'll see me touch the internet at some point. But just don't try and have me on social media unless you see me. I think that's the moral of the story.
1: <laughs> but yeah, main, mainly just being a normal human being and taking care
3: of my family. Yeah, yeah, you might, you might see me on the school run. How about that? That's the best place. I <laughs> yeah,
1: sounds good. Sounds no good promises,
2: here. listeners. No promises.
1: <laughs> nah, Nedim, it's been a pleasure, bro. Thank you so much. No worries at all.
2: You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at DaneSnaptiste and at the Howard Cohen. You can now support us on Patreon. Just search DBQE Podcast and unlock ad-free content, and you can watch the full-length video of the podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram. At DBQE podcast, and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.